What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create their content, and more importantly, be more productive. Now, when it comes to toys, it's not the usual action figures and stuff like that that you can buy at your everyday toy store. Everyone's definition of toys is different. From the person who collects guitar picks to the person who likes kitchen knives or samurai swords, everyone's definition of toys is different. And we like to embrace the toys in a more general sense versus just the usual stuff you can pick up at your normal toy store. It allows us to connect with our guests on a more personal level, and it just breaks up a lot of the business and entrepreneurial talk that happens throughout the interview. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into some housekeeping. So first off, I'd like to take a moment and wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be a few days after Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot to be thankful for. And I wanted to just take a moment and really just acknowledge that, um, you know, 2020 and 2021 have been uh, very I don't want to say super difficult for me in light of a lot of just personal stuff going on. But the fact is that in the midst of all of these different hardships and roadblocks along the way, I've really appreciated the fact that I've been able to do so many other things and also just grow creatively. And as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I decided this year to take Rageworks and the work we're doing to another level by actually forming a, a, a tried and true business. You know, Rageworks LLC is is a legitimate entity now doing all the due diligence to diversify what we're doing with the Rageworks brand from our podcast network to our website to future projects that we are working on. I think the fact that the, you know, the last year or so has afforded me this opportunity to do that is something I am incredibly thankful for. Um, I'm also thankful for the fact that there have been so many people that have been supportive of all of these crazy endeavors um, from my my wife and and my family and my closest friends to our our listeners and our community that you know they 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 like our stuff on Instagram they review our episodes they check out our content they engage whether it's with me or some of the hosts on the RageWorks podcast network who I am truly grateful for because while you know I I got the RageWorks name out there a lot of the successes that have come to the network have been I got to be honest, have been alongside so many of the great hosts and creators that work with us. Uh, guys like Jay Santi, uh, the crew from the Eat for Life podcast, Ben and Taylor from Black is the New Black, uh, Matt from Trek Untold, uh, Olski from the Funko Hub podcast, uh, Josie's Boy, who did uh, Call Me When It's Over. And the list goes on of amazing, amazing creators. Uh, Jimbo Slice, who did the variant issue with me and you know, is always supportive of all of these initiatives, all of these folks there, there. And I said it in our Thanksgiving message recently, I said it, they are that while some of them may not work with us currently, their impression are their impression 
on the brand and on the DNA of Rageworks is incredibly prominent. And I am truly, truly grateful that those opportunities have presented themselves, even with the difficulties of the last 20, the last year and a half going on the, the last, uh, almost two years now. So again, just, I wanted to really take, uh, the housekeeping this week and really acknowledge that, um, this week's guest is an incredibly unique and talented individual. And we're going to take a deep dive into something that I'm still learning about, but you know what is a hot button topic for many people, especially in the midst of the pandemic and everything else. And that is crypto. Uh, we're going to discuss, uh, cold storage wallets. We're going to discuss crypto wallets. We're going to discuss, uh, different types of cryptocurrency, how you can protect your cryptocurrency and much more. So if you're looking to learn a little bit more about crypto, definitely enjoy some of the stories and some of the lessons from this week's guest. There's also going to be a lot of talk about different types of cryptocurrency. As always, this is uh, for informational and entertainment purposes only. None of the stuff here is financial advice. Anything I do share regarding my own portfolio or anything else is exactly that. Just my experience in the space and as always, do your due diligence, do your own research uh, before uh, in getting involved in crypto or any other financial investments. All right. So with that little disclaimer out of the way, let's turn things over to this week's guest. My guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is Adam Lowe. Adam is the chief innovation officer for Compo Secure and is also the creator of the Arculus Crypto Storage Wallet. We're going to get into his story, the toys and tech of his trade, of course, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Arculus Secure Crypto Wallet, which is going to bring crypto storage to an easier audience than has been as of late, and we'll hopefully break down a lot of those barriers that people have with regards to crypto and how to store their crypto tokens. With that said, let's turn it over to Adam and get the toys and tech of his trade. Adam, how's it going? Great. Good morning. I'm very, very excited to speak with you. Um, before we started recording, I had mentioned that I got to see the Arculus card in person. And as a newbie in the crypto space, I was really enamored with the simplicity and the ease of use with not only the card, but just getting your cryptocurrency stored into that. But before we dive into it, I want to get a little bit more about your background. Um, you have a PhD. You've been a chief innovation officer, um, with Compo Secure for, uh, you know, earlier part of 2020 through, uh, the last seven years and 11 months over your overall career. I want to get into how you got into that particular space and, a little bit more of your background in general. So I, I have been with Compo uh, seven, almost eight years, and have kind of grown with the company as the company's grown. Uh, it's been a fantastic company to work for. When I started uh, eight years ago, it was around uh, 70 people, most of those in uh, kind of production, you know, making our cards, and it's grown to you know, over 700. So it's been a great, great growth story here, U.S. manufacturer. Um, so a bit, a bit of background on Compo itself. Uh, so Compo produces, um, basically, if you've ever seen a metal credit card, like an American Express Platinum card or, or any Chase metal cards, 
uh, we produce pretty much all of them for the market. Uh, so we've grown that business over the last six years. Um, I've been part of the team that has led new products and innovation, so bringing new product platforms to our banking and fintech customers. Uh, and then as part of that expertise, uh, we were able to take you know, our, our strong history of producing financial form factors and managing keys for banks, et cetera, developing that RF technology so that you know you can do tap to pay with a card and a metal card. And we took all of that expertise and uh, you know, heritage and cryptography and brought that to the crypto space. And that's how Arculus was born um, in creating the, the cold storage card to support the market. Now, being... Oh, sorry, apologies for the interruption. Oh, please go ahead. No, what I, what I was going to ask is being being at Compul Secure so long and growing with the organization and just watching the gradual evolution of how financial transactions are continuing to change. I want to know, especially from your perspective as, some, as someone behind the scenes, what what was the tipping point for you being in this business to even want to venture into the crypto space? What made it that you woke up one day and you said, man, this is, we need to get in here. Uh, I think for me, you know, crypto was and is a personal passion. Um, there were two things that really drove me to, to, to pursue it. Um, one was kind of the empowerment of the individual. You know, like we like to say, your keys, your crypto, you know, you're literally holding the, the keys to your crypto in your hand. And, you know, with a global it's a global currency, right? You, you can send it just as easily across the street as you can send it around the world uh, with no middleman, which was really interesting to me. So, you know, that the ability to kind of empower individuals globally uh, is one aspect of crypto that, that really drove me to it. Um, the second was, at least for a lot of the currencies, um, you know, the, that it's a fixed supply, a truly fixed supply. So that, you know, it is a true hedge against inflation. And uh, it, it is susceptible to a lot of the inflationary pressures of traditional uh, government-issued currencies. So uh, those two those two factors really drove me um, to think that crypto was going to grow in a big way, and it has uh, from a from a currency side. And then for something like Ethereum, uh, which is smart contract based, you know that platform to develop on was also very fascinating, right? You have this electronic independent arbiter, right, of smart contracts. And then you can use that system to deploy, you know, any contract between two or multiple parties. And the, the combination of those things, the ability to, to do spending, savings, tokenized things, have this, you know, virtual state machine, as they say, uh, just that whole ecosystem was incredibly fascinating to me. And uh, given our history of security, I thought we were well positioned to um, secure all of it. I think one of the one of the craziest things, especially in the in the midst of the of the pandemic, was a lot of people were sitting home. A lot of people were doing their due diligence, learning about crypto and realizing that, you know, the the Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin has just skyrocketed. Ethereum has skyrocketed and people they're they're really trying to, as you said, to have real control of their financial situations. But with that. I know that there are their own challenges. What are some things that you've seen with the with the adoption of of crypto, especially on on a more mainstream perspective? What are some of the challenges you've seen so far in the space that you feel over time are going to be they're going to be less? Sure. So I, I think the first challenge is just 
understanding what everything means. There's a lot of jargon and a lot of parlance and things have changed over time. You know, protocols have improved. So if you find a very old article, um, it may be less relevant than new information. So a lot of the industry is geared towards uh, now is onboarding people, um, making sure they understand how the ecosystem works and using the ecosystem um, in a safe way. You know, one of the most important things is, is safety and security. So if someone has their crypto on a centralized exchange, you know, they need to understand that that centralized exchange is essentially the custodian of their crypto. So they don't control the keys in that situation, thus they don't really control the crypto. And if their password gets compromised, uh, it's, the crypto's gone and it's not coming back. So, you know, it's really critical, in my opinion, that as people enter the ecosystem, they understand how and who is controlling their crypto and what can and cannot happen. Just to, to add a little clarity for, for people new into that space, centralized exchanges, you're referring to uh, entities like Robinhood, Coinbase, et cetera, correct? Uh, I am. Okay. I, I I try not to name names just for various reasons. No, of course. Those are prime examples of custodians. Yep. I I wanted to, I wanted to explain that because a lot of times people, uh, especially as I said, with in, in the current climate, they've jumped into these these applications. Um, you know, I, I'll name names just because I'm a, I'm a user like Robinhood, for instance, and they see, oh, I can get into crypto, and what they don't understand, and even I learning as as I said before realize like they're just they're holding it for you it's not yours so until you can get it off of those exchanges into a wallet that crypto is going to essentially be held there and to your point if something gets compromised your system gets compromised your passwords etc like that money that's in there is gone yep and if it's on the user meaning it's due to poor password hygiene etc they're not giving it back but those those centralized exchanges will not replace your Bitcoin if it gets drained. Okay, now now that we've we we we've addressed that elephant in the room because I'm sure a lot of people they probably are going to to freak out hearing that. Um, you know, security, especially in the financial space, is very important. And your 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 company has been pretty much at the forefront of trying to make sure that the the new forms of of payment and the new adoptions that are being implemented are as secure as possible was the pandemic a big factor for the company in terms of getting like for instance tap to pay adopted on a wider scale because at the time i remember when tap to pay was starting to be announced and it was just a handful of retailers like 711 and they were only accepting um, Apple Pay or Samsung Pay, and it was very few stores were adopting it. And then, of course, in the midst of this, so many retailers and companies just adopted Tap to Pay so quickly that it shifted from Tap to Pay on the mobile device to Tap to Pay with your card. Uh, can you just walk us through that that evolution? Because I'm sure it was sped up given what was going on with people not wanting to, you know, touch anything. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I think have to pay adoption on the merchant side uh, definitely was accelerated by COVID. Uh, so Compost Secure has made dual interface cards, uh, meaning you could uh, dip it or tap it uh, since, oh, I have to go back. I, I think it's 2017 or 2018. I don't recall. Um, but we have the patents on how to do that in metal cards. 
uh, and that was a big innovation for the company. And so we've, we've actually produced cards that can, can uh, work with tap to pay for years. But to your point, uh, there wasn't huge merchant adoption in the U.S. Uh, there was wide adoption in European and Asian markets, um, but uh, the U.S. was slower to adopt on the merchant side, and that was greatly accelerated uh, by COVID. So uh, tap to pay for cards has been around uh, uh, quite some time and then did accelerate in that, I'd say, start to accelerate in that 2018-ish time frame and then really accelerated with COVID. What was what was the hurdle with getting adoption here? Because to your point, uh, Asian markets, European markets, this uh, even even the transit system was already accepting tap to pay. What are I mean, whether it's from a personal perspective or even professional, what did you feel was a hurdle at the time for that sort of adoption here stateside? Um, you know, I think merchants just looked at it as cost. You know, it, it, it cost me money to upgrade my software at my point of sale terminal. It cost me money to train all of my staff. It cost me, you know, it's a huge cost. Um, and it wasn't at the time necessarily viewed as increasing their top line or bottom line. So I think they mainly viewed it as a cost. Uh, now I think merchants see the, you know, value in it, the, the reduction in friction that um, point of sale, right? I tap, thing beats, and I'm done, and I, I move on. So I think merchants uh, in the U.S. now really see the value of it and, and actually promote it significantly. So I think it was just, a, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to turn a big ship, and different things that are different are hard. You know, we like to say if you, if you go to the grocery store and watch, you know, people still write checks, right? And that's uh, that's a pretty old and yep. um, kind of it's payment product, but it still happens. So all payment products are slow to to change for the most part and uh, have have long tails. Now, with the with the adoption and and you had mentioned you know metal cards, and this has been a, a point of discussion just amongst various circles that I'm in. Is is that particular adoption? And the reason I say this is because when you had a metal card at one point, that was when you had like a top tier credit card or it was I almost feel like it became like a status symbol. But I'm noticing more and more companies are adopting that. Is that but what what's the the long the long goal with that? Like, obviously, durability is one. But why the move to a metal card versus plastic? Sure. So to your point, um, I think it kind of table stakes uh, for certain tiers of syntax, um, premium card segments, et cetera, right? Like if you want to play in that space, it's, it's become one of the requirements kind of for consumers to take you seriously. Uh, we see more and more companies moving to metal uh, really because it, it helps the issuing banks. You'll see things like um, increased retention of customers, uh, increased spend, you know, there's significant positive economic impacts to moving to metal um, that we've seen with a variety of our customers. So it, it it's not just a, a pretty object for mm-hmm. the customer. It's a retention tool uh, for the issuing bank that's going to help them keep that consumer and be top of mind and consumer, right? Because you're, you're, for a lot of banks, you know, the cards, and especially the contexts that don't have branches, you know, the card is their brand identity. So you really want a leading edge, high quality, a memorable brand experience when they're literally touching your brand every day as they go to pay. Yeah, I see. I see so much of it. And what I've noticed also is a rise in um, customization. Like I've seen a lot more companies now doing customized metal cards where people are sending their, their cards over and they're getting 
customized designs. Like it's creating a completely new ecosystem on top of the existing ecosystem of people that would create like customized wraps that you would put over your cards to your point. You're you, you have that, that tangible item that you can put on a, on a countertop when you're paying and people are like, wow, that card's pretty cool. Look. And I remember the first metal card I got was the, the Apple, Apple pay. And, um, I remember paying for it with the first time. And the person at the, at the register was just blown away. Like this card's made of metal. Does this thing even work? Like there were so many questions and it created so much conversation for the first, uh, four to six weeks that I was using it, that I can definitely understand that from a, from a business perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It is, uh, it's really, it's, it's fantastic to watch our clients, uh, as they move into metals have those moments and it's been a really positive experience for our, our banking partners. I want to talk a little bit about your background. I mean, you know, in researching for this interview, you, you know, you have a, uh, BS in biology, a PhD in microbiology. How does how does a person in 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 the biology space do a complete pivot into the fintech space? Like, where did that where did that pivot occur for you? Sure, it's a, it's a kind of interesting story. Um, so the I did get my PhD technically in micro, uh, but my thesis was really on um, bio nanotech. So I spent a lot of time. Um, doing essentially like biomaterial science, but put proteins or DNA on nanoparticles and shoot lasers at them and, and do detection of various things. And what that turned into was a job uh, out of grad school at a defense contractor. So I ran their biotechnology, uh, advanced technology initiative. So essentially doing advanced research for the defense and intelligence industries. And one of the interesting projects that we worked on was uh, synthetic DNA that was stable in non-traditional environments, meaning the DNA was stable in things like gasoline and plastic as a unique forensic marker. So um, COMPO in its history has made uh, IDs at the federal and state level for a variety of countries. And so I met our founder, COMPO's founder, um, as part of that. So when we were looking at could you put DNA into IDs as a unique forensic marker, uh, I met him, really liked him. He liked me. Uh, and then, you know, a few weeks later, made me an interesting offer to come join this growing company. Uh, and I decided it was a really unique opportunity with a really unique company and I was pretty young at the time. So I had the opportunity to go do something a little different. And so I joined Compo. It's been a fantastic journey. And, you know, here I am about eight years later, having grown with the company. That is, that is a, a crazy story. And, and now, now it unpacks a, a, another question about, um, you know, using DNA in non, non tangible and non, uh, non, um, uh, traditional environments. Now, working in that space, were items like this done to replace like the use of something like an RFID? Is it easier to track like a DNA marker versus, uh, an RFID signal? Uh, no, not necessarily. It was really intended to be a, uh, at the time, um, a, a deep, deep forensic marker. Uh, it ended up not, not going anywhere. It was a really interesting idea. It just, it didn't pan out, but the, it was intended to be like a, a ID gets returned to a government agency. We need to verify that this is absolutely real. So it was a, it was a possible idea for a deep forensic marker, not a everyday use case, um, where, where a secure key based RFID would be a, a much more day-to-day, I tap, yes, I have the right key, yes, that's real. 
that's that that the the fact that research like that is happening is just is just amazing and and you just blew my mind with that so that that's that's pretty cool and then to to go into this other space it um and and just see this different type of application in terms of security it lends me and leads me into the next question which is obviously the the creation of the the Arculus secure crypto wallet now obviously uh your company has been at the forefront of security now for just traditional financial institutions. What was, what made you say, Hey, well, let's try and get into the crypto wallet space. Like how did that conversation come to pass? Sure. So like I said, I had a pretty um, deep passion for the space and, you know, like any good startup, I was really trying to evaluate, where can we add value? Where is the friction in the space? What deep prop, like where's the, the highest need and where is a problem need to be solved? And how does that jive with what we do here at, here at Compo? So, you know, quickly, like you said, it, it, we clearly have the, the expertise and background in, in security. So I, I kind of approached it from that angle. And then I thought about existing hardware wallets and just how complicated they are and how challenging they are to use. And that, you know, the mass for a mass adoption of crypto to happen, which was important to me, the average person was just not going to be willing to use them. So I thought about uh, everything we do and thought about how can we use that technology, easy form factor, familiar form factor in a you know in credit card that everybody has, uses, and understands, and how can we interact that with a mobile phone that everybody uses and allow people to store crypto safely. So with that kind of as the thought, uh, we did, again, kind of typical startup behavior. We went and started talking to people. We talked to consumers. We talked to people who were highly experienced in crypto, people that have never used crypto, uh, and kind of did some baseline consumer research and thought that the Arculus form factor, you know, a smart card storing your private keys, could be really interesting to the space. So we started developing the product, um, kept asking consumers, kept testing with consumers. Um, as well as talking to B2B partners and just found it a really compelling case. And many months later, Arculus launched publicly and we're live. Now, the the thing that gets me and I've seen a lot of a lot of creators in the crypto space start talking about uh, different levels of of hardware wallets and ways to keep crypto secure. Um, what do you feel is going to be? I guess the main adoption point when you were putting Ar- when you're putting Arculus out to the general public. And the reason I'm I'm framing this question is because you're also looking to offer Arculus as a business solution as well. So with that said, how are you how are you strategizing to make a, a, an impact in this space when there's been some players that are already out here that so many other crypto enthusiasts promote so heavily? Sure. Yeah, I you know. I think there's an unmet need and an untapped segment that, like I said, are, are unwilling to use current solutions, but I think when they see it, would be very willing to use Arculus. And I think that's the unique play um, on the consumer side. Uh, it is a busy space. So to your point, you have to be able to reach those consumers um, and make them understand the benefits of the product and convince them of its security. So I think that that's the, the really unmet segment. Um, and I do think we'll convert people who are current users of other products just because of the unique value prop of, of Arculus, right? So the three factors of authentication is is a nice nice differentiator. The fact that it's completely passive, um, meaning you know there's no Bluetooth on it to get hacked. 
There's no batteries to charge. There's no cables to plug in. You know, you're not connecting it to a computer that could inject malware. Uh, in fact, that has a best-in-class secure element encrypting your keys. You know, all of those things, I think, differentiate it in the market as from a feature set. And then just from a raw ease of use, the same way you tap to transact a point of sale, uh, you tap to transact your Arculus card with your Arculus wallet on your phone. And as you saw in the demo, it's very straightforward. Now, I know that there were there as we researched for for our conversation we saw that a lot of um the breakdown of how many different tokens and cryptocurrencies you're able to send um the thing about it is that uh, i know a lot of people and i and i noticed this especially with certain content creators on youtube were like oh it doesn't support this token that token this crypto that crypto but the thing about it is that crypto is constantly evolving and this is more an opinion question, but if you've if you've been around the the retail space, you know that like for instance, when Blu-ray started, you have Blu-ray and HD DVD, and over time, Blu-ray became the dominant format. Uh, VHS, Laserdisc, Beta, same thing. Little by little, one remaining uh, champion in that space was there. With with crypto, do you see that becoming the case down the line? Yeah, I do. I think there'll be some consolidation into kind of classes of products, right? Like there won't be a, I don't think it'll come down to Coke and Pepsi, right? You're not going to have two things, right. but um, I do see some consolidation. So, you know, you're going to have kind of big stores of value. Bitcoin's not going away anytime soon. Uh, you'll have uh, things that are designed to be state machines and platforms for people to build on. So, you know, that's roughly the Ethereum's, Solanas, Cardanos of the world, um, you know, I think you'll see some consolidation in that space uh, down to a few players. Um, I, I never try to guess what's going to go in the meme coin category. That, that would be <laughs> on. Uh, and then, you know, different platforms that support NFTs, um, non-fungible tokens are also an interesting use case. So I think a variety of categories will remain, but there'll be some consolidation within those categories. Yeah, I ask because, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where people they'll and I noticed this, as I said, as I was looking up more about Arculus before even setting up my own was the fact that so many people were like, oh, well, this token's not on there. That token's not on there. And this goes back to the same thing with those exchanges we were talking about before. Like not every exchange is going to have every coin either. So you kind of have to pick and choose where you go. But I think. To, to your point, if you're recording, if you're, um, you know, leveling up a portfolio of Bitcoin or Ethereum or the major tokens, you're going to want those put in the in cold storage immediately because those are the ones that you're kind of, I like to say, long term stacking versus some of the other ones that I kind of feel you're kind of playing in and and getting the hang of the crypto space. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I want to add that, you know, Arculus has a variety of additional tokens to be added on its roadmap. Um, but, you know, we hit by market cap, you know, we hit a huge portion of the market cap uh, with the with the currencies we launched at. You know, the Arculus at its core is a, is a mobile HSM, right? It's, a, it's effectively uh, mobile high security hardware. And, you know, we can continue to add currencies as we go. Uh, it's very important to Arculus that we maintain compliance with all of the regulatory environment. Right. So we were very thoughtful 
perhaps more thoughtful than others about what currencies we launched with relative to regulatory. So um, we're going to be very thoughtful as we add currencies to the platform, uh, but we are looking and working on a variety of them. Um, again, not going to name names, but we're working hard with council as well as our tech team to add currencies in a very deliberate manner to the platform. Yeah, I think I think the the offerings that were there, um, especially in the midst of researching, I'm like, listen, if you're trying to to build up your your Bitcoin portfolio, your Ethereum portfolio, and I'm using those naming names because those are the two major play. You know, it, it's like gold and silver in the space. You know, if you're if you're trying Absolutely. to put if you're trying to put money in those two spaces, you're going to want a card that embraces those two spaces without issue whatsoever. Yeah. And the nice thing too, is the platform does allow you to start from scratch, meaning you can go on the platform. And if you don't have any crypto yet, uh, we do allow you to, to buy crypto via licensed partner. Um, so you can take your debit card, you know, uh, work with our partner, buy some Bitcoin and it'll show up in your wallet. Now with, with, uh, with choosing choosing a partner and allowing people to do that, do, do you feel that opening up that particular outlet for for creator, well, for investors, is a, a major selling point? And I say this because a lot of people that are doing research, they're going to hear, "Oh, you have to keep your tokens in a wallet because it's the safest, etc." But by you allowing someone to go and buy their own and and kind of kick off their investment journey through your platform. Do you feel that by doing that, you're offering a better catch-all solution than your competitors? Yeah, I think so. I think it's we, we really wanted to make it convenient for people uh, to be you know on a single platform for long-term storage and, and secure holding. So, you know, that's why we have the mantra of uh, send, receive, buy, swap. So you can buy crypto there. You can swap from one to another. So I could swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum. Um, and of course, I can send and receive to anybody I want that has a, a industry standard wallet. So we do think the platform is kind of one-stop shopping for everything you need. Um, and yeah, we're really proud of it. I I was reading, obviously, you can you can purchase the Arculus card directly from, from the company. I wanted to know, do you see... Uh, whether short term or long term, people being able to walk into a retailer and buy a crypto wallet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that is definitely in my vision. You know, I would love to walk into a brick and mortar store and see Arculus cards hanging on the shelf, right? And all the lovely instruction kit telling you how to get started. Right. So, and we needed to launch on web because that is the place to launch, and that's where the most uh, I think interested users would be. But there's no reason that an Arculus card shouldn't be hanging next to the cash register at an electronic store. Um, and there's no reason it shouldn't be on other e-commerce stores. And that's definitely on our vision and on our roadmap. And as you know, adoption continues, I think you have to be there. Because if it's just this web platform, you're not going to reach a certain segment uh, of society. I think it needs to be in, in retail outlets as well. Absolutely. I think, I think that that's part of one of the reasons. I know, especially with social media being so prevalent now it's very easy for for you to tailor a campaign to reach those people that are in that space i mean the analytics are are impressive regardless of which social media platform you leverage but the the ability for brick and mortar to be able to do that and not only offer it but also answer questions on it i still feel is crucial to 
you know, cryptocurrency becoming more mainstream. I think going back to what I was saying before, a lot of people, they're like, is it real money? How does it work? Like, there's so many questions. And once you go down the rabbit hole trying to answer those questions, you you get pulled into a lot of different directions. So I like the fact that you're really trying to simplify and give people just one outlet to store, purchase, and get comfortable before digging into some of the more experimental sides of the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, it's uh, it's jumping into, say, like a DeFi pool or something. The second day you have crypto is probably jumping into the deep end a little bit. I think we give people a safe, realistic place to start, um, and then they can start adventuring into some of the other aspects of crypto. There you go. I wanted to uh, to ask before we jump into um, what I like to call the hot seat. What was the first crypto you purchased? The first crypto, I, I think the first crypto I got was uh, when I mined some Bitcoin many years ago. Uh, so I did I mined it rather than purchasing it. Wow! Um, I think the first crypto I purchased with cash was XRP. All right, uh, I, 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 it's awesome to hear that you mined. You, you, you were a miner. I think that that is such an under, under explained, um, ecosystem that it's good to hear that somebody who's in this space actually went through the, the, the endeavor of actually mining it themselves, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that was a number of years ago and <laughs> you could still reasonably do it with a desktop system yep. uh, for Bitcoin. That's not, that's not viable anymore. Oh no! You now you need a warehouse, uh, forty-seven graphics cards, twelve computers, and 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 a very massive, massive electric bill. <laughs> All right, I want to go into what I like to call our hot seat. It's just a series of rapid-fire questions. Uh, some of it business-related, some of it uh, related to uh, some of our conversation. Again, very easy, right off the cuff. All right. Yep. So, what are three mobile apps that you can't live without? Oh. Mobile apps I cannot live without um, uh, my Arculus app, uh, my Chase banking app, uh, and my Merrill Lynch. Or actually, I'll take that back. My Thinkorswim trading app. Really, I've never heard of that. Um, TD Bank's uh, trading. Really, and that's new. Only uh, that's something I've never heard of, and I'm a TD Bank customer. Not now. I have to go and find out about that. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what do you, what's one of the first things you do when you turn on your phone or your computer? What's one, what's the first place you go to? Uh, my corporate email. Do you have inbox zero or no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have the mandated, uh, mandated inbox, uh, our IT group mandate for security reasons. Oh, there you go. Now, um, what's one website you recommend to people often? Uh, Etherscan. So if you do an Ethereum transaction, it has, every bit of detail there possible about the Ethereum ecosystem and a transaction. It's um, not a, it's not the exact place for users to get started, but if you want to know something about your Ethereum transaction or wallet or history, it's all there. Awesome. What's your favorite piece of tech besides your phone or your computer? Uh, my Arculus. Card. There you go. <laughs> What's the last book you read? Uh, I recently reread uh, Heart of Darkness. It's one of my favorite novels. Nice. Now, obviously, with with COVID and spending a lot of time home, did you binge watch any shows during that time? I think like most Americans, I've binge watched, rewatched The Office so many times. I can't <laughs> count. Um, but yes, I will definitely admit that uh, The Office has cycled through my house quite a few times during COVID. There you go. 
What was the last item you purchased that's less than $100 that made your life easier or more enjoyable? Uh, I'm trying to think of like some fun widget that I recently bought that made my life more enjoyable. Um, oh, uh, I got a new case for my phone that uh, makes it pretty much, I don't want to say break proof, but it, it works well. So a new case for my phone. There you go. Have you broken many phones? <laughs> Uh, I've not, I have broken many cases, but I don't think I've broken the phone yet. All right. There we go. So obviously we, we, we get into that. I want to ask, uh, from the business side, what's one non-negotiable for you when it comes to business? Uh, people. And what I mean by that is sometimes there's business opportunities in life where the business may make sense, but the person or counterparty you'd be doing business with doesn't, um, in the same way that team is one of the most important things when doing a startup, uh, the person on the other side of the table that you're doing business with is just as important. And if they're not, quote, a good person or someone that you would want to do business with, you probably shouldn't be doing business with them. And that's an important lesson, I think, for everybody in business. That is a that is a great piece of advice. And, you know, it's interesting because I've heard uh, I believe it was Jamie Foxx that once said that he said, I've walked away from many tables with a lot of money just because I didn't like the person or what the person stood for. Yeah, I'm a, I'm definitely firm believer in that. Awesome. How, did the pandemic make you more or less productive? You know, Compo, it, it, it probably made me more productive um, in the sense that I could find slots where I could work from home, work kind of in an isolated environment and get a lot done. Right. Um, you know, Compo as a whole is a manufacturing organization, so we, we don't have the luxury of being fully, you know, not everybody can stay home, right? We need to be in the factory and with the machines. So, uh it certainly made things more challenging, but I'm incredibly proud of the way the company persevered. Um, and, you know, production never stops, right? We, we never let our customers down. So really proud of the way the company handled and continues to handle COVID. What was something that you changed your mind on in the last year? Um, in the last year, I think I changed my mind a little bit about uh, the NFT ecosystem where I thought, you know, it, it would be more of a flash in the pan than it's become, uh, to be honest. So I, I think it's interesting and continues to grow. And there's some unique use cases that I did not immediately envisage as they first came on. Um, so I would say I, I've been kind of converted or changed my mind around some of the NFT ecosystem. I think with with that said, one of the things I think about NFTs that I think trips a lot of people up is the fact that they're... It, it, they're like, why can't I just copy and paste or save this file? And it's so much deeper than that. Cause I was in the same camp. Um, and I had the same thought process you did. And then I started seeing a lot of implementations and more so a lot of mainstream companies really coming out with NFTs. I think Disney just came out with a, with a crop of NFTs based on like uh, iconic pop culture moments. And people were just like, I'm buying this one. I'm holding on to this one. This one's already up a thousand dollars and it just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I collected baseball cards as a kid. Um, so, you know, I really can't fault anyone for collecting you know, a digital version of that. Essentially. I'm, I'm actually glad you did that. Cause obviously we talk about tech here. want to talk a little bit about toys. What was your favorite toy or collectible from your childhood? Uh, so I, I think the thing that it still sits in like a two inch piece of Lexus hand, uh, uh, there was a, a baseball card, uh, Pinnacle was a brand of baseball cards when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they at one point gave away the 
press plates that were used to actually print the cards. It was a relatively rare pull, uh, and I got one of Larry Walker. So that was a, a prized um, possession of mine as a child. So Larry Walker press plate from Pinnacle. As a as a collector, as a card collector, what are your thoughts on the current uh, ecosystem when it comes to cards now and grading, and the fact that now something that was just such a a pastime or a casual hobby is now being viewed as a as not only an ecosystem, but in some cases, a way to, to generate revenue. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm mixed feelings with it. Um, you know, I'm never going to disparage someone for the way they want to control their hobby or business or whatever they want to do. Um, you know, I do think it makes it a little harder for kids to have a reasonably priced pastime, as you said, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a free market guy and the free market's going to do what free market's going to do. If you were, Start if you were starting to collect sports cards now. What would you? What would be something you'd want to focus on first and foremost? Uh, rookies, established now, players. Oh yeah, I, I think I would be looking at rookies and trying to evaluate potential upsides. Um, so I think I think I would really focus on rookies, and I would we'll pick a card brand or provider that you know we think is going to last. Right, there's some card brands that were around back in the day, or not around anymore. So I'm going to try to find a sustainable card brand as well. There you go. Um, two questions before we wrap this, uh, the, this segment up. Uh, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Uh, I think for a long time when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And then at some point that changed where I, I figured out it was really, really in science and technology. And then stayed with that. Nice. Very cool. Um, I call you or I email you a year from now and I ask you, Hey Adam, where's your business at? What's your goal a year from now for Compo and for Arculus? Sure. So I think a year from now you're going to see a pretty decent adoption on the consumer side of Arculus. You know, we have some goals around that, and then I think you will see within a year from now uh, some rollout, essentially the white labeling of, of different versions of the Arculus technology that we can do with our business partners. You know, Compo has a 20 year history of partnering very successfully with businesses and we're looking forward to doing the same uh, on the Arculus business line. Outstanding. Uh, the last segment of our interview, we like to call reach one, teach one. We usually ask our guests a piece of action, of actionable advice for uh, future entrepreneurs, young folks, uh, people that are in the space. And it's usually related to the conversations we have. Uh, my question for you is if you had to go and speak in front of a group of high school seniors and they're looking to get into the fintech space or even looking to get started in crypto, what's a piece of advice you'd have for them to get started in the space and also to get started in crypto? Sure. So to get started in the space, um, I would say that you need to be somewhat technically knowledgeable, meaning you don't have to be able to write code, but you should understand how at a pretty fundamental level how the crypto works. And, you know, there's so much information out there. So if you really want to get in and develop and do something cool, uh, my advice to them would be make sure you start to understand how it really works um, at a fundamental level so that you can have a deep impact. Uh, getting into fintech or startups in general, um, I would say I would ask those high school seniors to Google Lean Startup because it really walks you through the mentality of finding a friction point drilling down on it, talking to the people they affect, getting real feedback, um, and then 
moving forward and pivoting and iterating around that. So that would be my advice to high school seniors. Outstanding. That That's a great way to close things out. Uh, last but not least, of course, Adam, where can people find you, connect with you, and of course, find out more about Arculus? Sure. You can learn more about Arculus at getarculus.com. Um, our social media tag is at this is Arculus. And uh, if you want to connect with me directly, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, Adam Lowe. And that's probably the best way to find me. Outstanding. Uh, Adam, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thank you very much. What a dope conversation with Adam. I think that there were a lot of great gems you can take from this conversation and apply to any thoughts on crypto, researching cold storage wallets, all of the above. We're going to include links to connect with Adam, and we're also going to include links for you to pick up the Arculus card. We actually picked one up, and we're going to be uh, putting some pieces out on the site and probably on our YouTube channel, just sharing our experiences with it. As somebody who's still relatively new in the crypto space, I'm trying to find ways to not only learn about it and apply it quickly, but also be able to pass on the information to my friends, my family, my peers, etc., that are looking to get into the space and have some questions. And one thing I got asked often was about wallets and storing your cryptocurrency. And again, there's so many out there. They're all great. They all have um, things that I like about them and I dislike. I think with in the case of the Arculus card, I just like the the easier form factor, the ability to keep it on you. And, you know, the things of that nature. But keep it locked to Rageworks for all of that stuff regarding uh, our experiences with the Arculus card. We'll definitely make sure to share that. And as I said, you'll be able to connect with Adam via the links in the show notes for this episode. And any of the items that we discussed, as always, will have links. Some may be affiliate links, which... As always, if you click them, we receive a small commission that helps us out and allows us to continue to put amazing content out and grow the Rageworks brand and all of the Rageworks properties that are associated with the brand, of course. Um, before we wrap things up, a few things. I know a lot of folks have been asking for the holiday gift guide. That will be the next episode that we will be dropping um, before an episode with this week's guest, I wanted to originally drop it for Black Friday, but I didn't want to put the pressure on anyone to have to buy it during that particular window of Black Friday or Cyber Monday, etc. So a lot of the things we'll be sharing in the gift guide are just tools and different things that we have used or are in the process of using that we think would make great gifts for your fellow creators and entrepreneurs or hell, maybe you want to just treat yourself. And if that's the case, uh, hopefully we'll include some awesome stuff with that as well. Now it's not all going to be podcasting stuff. We're going to definitely include podcasting, uh, different content creation stuff, uh, fun things, cool gadgets that just make, uh, people happy or make, um, you know, just make people feel better. Not necessarily, again, business related. There'll definitely be plenty of products and services and things that we're digging that we're going to share, but then there'll be some, some cool stuff as well. Um, lastly, a little bit of a personal note. Um, I actually am going to be teaching 
uh, starting within the next few days. I'm actually going to be teaching at a facility in Brooklyn, and I'll be teaching podcasting to a group of young people that are looking to make their mark in the space and get the ball rolling uh, with regards to creating their podcasts or just leveraging podcasting for other aspects of their content creation journey. I'm really excited for it. I think that one of the best things you can always do is pay your skills forward and A lot of people did that with me, and I'd like to return the favor and hopefully create or help at least start the journey for the next generation of creators. So I'm really excited for that. I'll probably share a little bit more of that in the coming episodes. Um, Maybe I'll try and do like a solo episode and kind of share some of that stuff with you folks, because I know some of you like those personal stories. And again, they tie to entrepreneurship and just being a better business person, whether you're a creative or not. So we'll definitely try and share some of that as well. So keep an eye out for our holiday gift guide. It should be coming out within the next few days after the release of this episode. And then we have an amazing, amazing guest on deck. Um, season three of, of Toys and Tech of the Trade is definitely going to have a lot of a lot of different, unique and exciting guests from all walks of life. And I'm Really excited to share them with you. All right, enough rambling. Let's wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, you can find Rageworks on any of the social media platforms. So feel free to hit us up. And if you got a moment and you enjoyed this podcast, take a second, give us a rating on iTunes. We'd really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thanks again for listening. See you in the next one. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.